Hey guys, I'm Court. And I'm Kate. And you're listening to Season 2, Episode 9 of The The Castle Castle Chat. Chat. Oh my goodness, we are at the end of Season 2. Another finale. I am loving it. This has been so fun. Yes, I can't believe we're already at the finale of Season 2. Today we are doing Free For All, and for our Free For All, we wanted to introduce a new episode that we are actually going to continue to do through Season 3, and we are actually going to talk about Disney legends, but specifically today we are going to be talking about our pal, Bob Iger. I can't wait to talk about this man. I admire him so much. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, let's break it down. Okay, Court, let's talk about how we came up with this Disney Legends idea. Yeah, so I think when we thought about originally this, um, the episode Free For All, we wanted to be able to have a lot of creative ability to speak about anything. But then we realized that there's so much to talk about. It was almost so broad for us, and we wanted something a little more narrow where we could still um, have something really exciting to talk about. And we thought about this whole Disney Legends topic where we could highlight different individuals that are considered Disney legends, um, whether they're Walt Disney himself or somebody more recent where we can speak about their career and their um, accomplishments and what they've done for Disney and how it's changed the company as a whole. And so I'm really excited that we get the opportunity to highlight these people that have really made such a difference within the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, we've mentioned before in other episodes how there are different areas of Walt Disney World and Disneyland as well that do little things to highlight and showcase these individuals who have made such an impact on the Walt Disney Company over the years. And I think it's important to kind of know your history. If you're a huge Disney fan, um, knowing where these things came from, who was Mm -hmm. responsible, the background information on how something came to be is it makes when you're walking through these different parts of the parks or watching certain films and saying, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. I remember when, you know, so-and-so was a part of this or made this happen. Um, I don't know. I think diving into the history of what the people who have made Disney, what it is today is super relevant. And for big time Disney fans, like we are learning history about these people is, is exciting for us to do on the side as well. Yeah, I think I gained a lot of appreciation for um, those that are working more behind the scenes when I watched the Imagineering story on Disney Plus and saw just like all of the people that are involved in making Disney happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I knew, I obviously knew before that show that it took a village, but watching that show and seeing how they built certain attractions or even certain theme parks themselves, um, who was a part of it, who was like an integral part of making sure that that those projects happened and how they have continued to work with the company to um, provide their expertise is really impressive and exciting to watch. And so I now I'm really excited that we get to highlight those people and yeah, talk about them, which today we're talking about Bob Iger. Bob Iger is without a doubt a Disney legend. Oh, 100%. I would would probably, at this point in time, knowing what I know about Disney and doing research, he's probably one of my biggest 
legends for for me and my personal interest and intrigue and what some of these people have done in his career and what he did for the Walt Disney Company in my opinion is some of the the best and ex- most extensive work that anyone's done mm-hmm. and i think this this i mean this is a pretty big statement that i'm about to make but i think that bob iger is honestly like our modern day walt disney i would agree i think um there was a quote that he um we'll we'll dive into more of the specifics of his career but um and doing a little bit of research on him um somebody that he worked with in his early career when he um, joined onto their team and worked under them he said that their motto was innovate or die and he just took on that motto (laughs) and made it his career and i think that walt disney believed the same way that he Mm -hmm. had to innovate he had to come up with new things um or it would just not fulfill his purpose and role in creating what we know now as the walt disney company and so i think bob Iger did a pretty good job of echoing walt's um work ethic and vision for expanding what we know as disney Mm -hmm. And so just to give you guys a little bit of background on Bob Iger, uh, Bob Iger was the CEO of the Walt Disney World Company from 2005 to 2010. So he had 15 years specifically as the CEO. Um, He just recently stepped down in 2020 and was the executive chairman of the board and then most recently has stepped down from that position as well. Um, So we thought what perfect time to actually highlight him as there's a lot in the news about him right now um but also so crazy that he is stepping away from the company after being with them for a significant period of time yeah and beyond just being the ceo before that he was the coo before Mm -hmm. that he was in charge of disney international and before that he had other roles so he's been with disney for a huge part of his career Um, yeah i think he started he started working for abc back at 45 years ago, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so and that was before Disney owned ABC, but still like working for a company that then went, then went on to be owned by Disney and then becoming the CEO of Disney is a really big deal. <laughs> yeah, I would say that he fits the bill really well for somebody who is that started from the bottom, now we're here mm-hmm. kind of career, which yeah. is really admirable and respectable and i just think um in doing research and reading for this specific episode i learned so much and gained even more respect for all that he went through all that he did to earn the position of ceo Mm -hmm. of the walt disney company yeah i know In, in one of his interviews that he was speaking on he um he mentioned that his first job at abc was a production assistant and when he was working, our product design assistant, but he was like, I was the assistant to the assistant. He said, I started off real low, right at the bottom, earning $150 a week. And now look at him. I mean, this is crazy. Like, it, you're right. It really is the story of starting at the bottom and building an empire from that. And mm-hmm. um, it's very inspiring to see that versus somebody that perhaps comes in higher up along the line. I think it's it's really nice to see the way that he's hustled for this. Absolutely. Let's, now that we're kind of getting into this conversation, mm-hmm. dive into that early career and talk about his start in the entertainment industry. Yeah. So a fun fact about Bob Iger, when he first started over at um, ABC, 
He actually was a weatherman for a short period of time and um, did that, which I think is just so interesting. Like looking back on that, thinking about if I see a weatherman on the TV and be like, oh, that's the future CEO of Walt Disney World. That's really cool. Um, I know that actually recently he, um, a couple of days ago, well, we're filming this early, but um, back in December, he actually went on to like an ABC morning show and redid the weather again and brought him back to his roots, which is how I learned that he started off as a weatherman. So that's something that, I mean, he started as back at ABC. He graduated from Ithaca College in New York and had a degree in entertainment TV. I, I can't remember the specific name of his degree, oh, but it was like That's cool. television and entertainment, something along those lines. So he knew that this is the, the realm and the field he wanted to be in from mm-hmm. the get-go. And that first job out of college was working for a local news station. Mm-hmm. And he was 23, I think was yeah. his first job. Yeah, super young, jumping right in. And the articles and stories that I read, I thought this was super interesting. He'd kind of been in that job for a little bit and realized that being in front of the camera wasn't necessarily what he wanted to do. He was a little bit more interested in the behind the scenes stuff and Mm -hmm. producing. And um, so according to this story that I read, a family member of his, I think maybe it was his uncle, was in the hospital for some type of surgery. And while his uncle or said family member was in the hospital, somebody in uh, the recovery room, like in the bed next to him, they, they struck up a conversation and he was like, yeah, well, I'm some hotshot from ABC. And, you know, if your nephew is as a hard worker and, and interested in this as you say he is, then I'm, you know, powerful enough to get him a job if that's really what he wants. And so his uncle was like, yeah, set him up. Like, he would do anything to be able to do that um and then it turned out that the man that was talking to his family member wasn't as high up as he made it seem and he (laughs) did get the job at abc however it was that assistant to the assistant type role (laughs) and um in some of his interviews and things he's said um in the past he basically worked on Tons of different shows that ABC was producing, just doing the grunt work, running Mm -hmm. around, getting people things they need so that the production could flow well. Um, But his his work ethic obviously allowed him to move up. Something else I thought was interesting was in those early roles that he played at ABC, he got into a tiff with the person that was his superior or his boss at the time. Something happened. He made a comment about something that his boss did. And his boss said, you know, if you want to spread rumors, then you can find a new job at ABC, you know, in a different department because I don't work with people like that or you're out of a job. And so he had two weeks to find a job within ABC and he actually ended up finding something in the sports department. Oh, yeah. So he jumped from the TV show side of things and jumped into ABC Sports and worked um, closely with people there and very rapidly in his role at ABC Sports started to climb the ranks. I did not know that part about the, him going over to sports. I um, I saw that he was at, in ABC. I just didn't know there was a different department that he went to be a part of. So that was super interesting. Yeah. So in his early career, it started to quickly dawn on the people he was working with how 
good he was at all the jobs he was given. And I think that something um, that was particularly notable for him in what people say about him in reflecting on his early career is that he is so relational. A lot of his career stemmed on relationships that he built, kept, and did a great job of maintaining or capitalizing on. Um, there was a quote when I was reading about you know, the history of his early career where somebody that used to be his boss said um, he had a, the, the quote said, he had a talent for appreciating talent. And mm-hmm. in that, I think that he made a lot of relationships and um, made certain people in the entertainment industry really recognize and appreciate him because he was so um, good at commending them on their work. And there are all these stories of how he would go in for these big presentations and was given kind of a big task and he'd go in without any notes and just nailed it. Everyone was always impressed with the work that he did. Um, And during his time at ABC, um, ABC was bought out by um, another company called Capital Cities. Um, And so people at both ABC and Capital Cities realized, you know, he was one of their better employees and he actually got promoted to the VP of programming and so what he did in that role VP of programming for Capital Cities and ABC was he was the person who gave a thumbs up or a thumbs down to shows people wanted to produce so people came to him with ideas and he would either give him a green light or a red light and say hey this thing you know this thing could Mm -hmm. work for us this could be something that is good on tv or no i don't think this is a good fit and basically you know gave stamps of approval for certain shows and that's a really cool job yeah it's a big job and there are stories of him expressing how stressed he was when he got that job because he didn't Mm. it's a lot of pressure to know what people are going to love or what people are going to hate and um something that you know is one of those full circle things where you don't realize um what's happening in the moment but once you know life happens and you look back you're like wow that little moment there was so important during his time as vp of programming um he produced he gave the thumbs up and produced a show um, that only ran for two seasons but it was critically acclaimed it got all kinds of awards and really caught the eye of a lot of um, producers and execs in the Hollywood industry. Um, There were things I read about Steven Spielberg kind of catching on to um, what he was producing and saying, wow, he really seems to have an eye and know, you know, what good film art is, uh, even though it didn't last long. Um, And somebody else that it caught the attention of was George Lucas. Yeah. And so while Bob Iger was at ABC, he was approached by George Lucas about producing a show that would be an Indiana Jones spinoff. And Mm. Bob Iger, you know, sat down with him, thought it would be a great idea, gave him the green light to produce it. And again, this show also only ran for two seasons, but... George Lucas and other interviews has said it really meant a lot to me in those early days that he was willing to take the risk and take a chance on me. And Mm -hmm. that stuck with him for many years and held their relationship up for many years. It was early on that he, 
you know, started having those conversations with George Lucas and eventually made a big payoff when he was CEO of Disney. And we'll get to that later. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know that whenever, um, do we know what year ABC or Disney bought ABC? Yes, we discussed it on our uh, season two, episode two, where were we then? <gasps> 1996. Oh, yeah. ABC was bought out in early 1996. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, early 1996. So in 2000, that is when Bob Iger was named president and COO of Disney, um, which at that point, the merger of um, ABC and Disney, I'm sure, was an easy trip not well probably not easy i know nothing in the entertainment industry is obviously easy but having those companies merge is probably a sense of familiarity for him um to be able to transition into his role as um, president and coo um so kate why don't we talk a little bit about between 2000 and 2005 before he became ceo and what he was a part of during those years So during that time, right before ABC was bought out by Disney, so again, Capital Cities and ABC were a conglomerate. They were a joint company. But right before they were bought out by Disney, Iger was named. He was kind of promoted through the ranks again. Um, He at one point was the vice senior vice president, and then he was also named the president and the chief operating officer or COO of ABC. And so when Disney bought out ABC and Capital Cities, Bob Iger was the COO of that company at the time. And when they were bought out, he was a little bit unsure of how long he wanted to stick around with Disney. But he decided he'd, he signed a contract to stay on for five years, I believe. Mm-hmm. And within those first five years of him being there, um, he was named the president of Walt Disney International. And so that's kind of all of the, the parks abroad and everything going on outside of the U.S. Um, and he was also chairman of the ABC group. And so he's kind of balancing these two different companies, one being domestic and the other being all over the world. And so he's kind of stretched a lot to um, manage both of those jobs. But it wasn't long after being in that role. Um, Again, Disney bought ABC in 1996. And early as 2000, he was named the COO of the Walt Disney Company. And so within that first five years, he, you know, would get a huge promotion that made him a little bit more interested in sticking around with Disney. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And also, like you said, being stretched thin, I can't imagine how much stress and pressure that was um, to really like hold that weight for those international theme parks that were coming about. Um, I know later on in his career, and we'll get to this as well, he was a major part of one of the international um, Disney parks that we know of today. So, I know that um, I'm sure he wanted to continue to have a piece of that and continue to grow that um, as he excelled in his career as well. Yeah, and when he became the COO, the the CEO of the Walt Disney Company that was over him and that preceded him was Michael Eisner. Mm-hmm. So you might know Michael Eisner as responsible for the Disney decade. But at the time that 
um, Bob Iger starting to climb the ranks within the Walt Disney Company, Michael Eisner and Disney's nephew, Roy O. Disney. They're a little bit um, on the rocks. They had a, a rough relationship there at the end. Um, Roy, Disney, and Michael Eisner didn't really get along, and Roy being somebody directly connected to Walt Disney had a lot of pull in the company and he wanted he wanted the the management and the CEO to change. And yeah. so he pushed for Disney to start looking for their next CEO and in 2005 it happened to be Bob Iger. And then he became our CEO and all the magic that we know today <laughs> started to commence. So oh, let's jump into Yeah, let's jump in. There are so many things that Bob Iger was responsible for during his 15-year tenure as the Disney CEO, but there is one thing that I think is kind of at the peak of his career as CEO. Yeah. You may just tell him what it is. Why don't you uh, tell him what it is, Court? All right. So... One of the biggest things that he was able to accomplish in his 15-year tenure was definitely the acquisition of the Pixar company, merging Pixar and Disney into one, which we just view Pixar and Disney as the same thing because they are. They're, they, he was able to acquire that as, um, as a company. And something that's really interesting about the Pixar merger is that at the time, Steve Jobs was one of, the, was one of the largest stakeholders in the company. And so in order for him to consider getting um, them to merge this company, he had to go through Steve to be able to um, kind of see if that was okay, if that was something that they could agree to in terms and lawyers and all of that process. But um, I know that Steve Jobs really didn't have a great relationship with the Walt Disney Company because of some things that happened in the past, which I know that you're pretty familiar on. Do you want to touch on some of those things? So to my understanding, I don't have a ton of information on what the specifics were that caused a riff between Michael Eisner and Steve Jobs. Again, Michael Eisner apparently rubbing some people the wrong way towards the end of his time mm -hmm. as CEO. Um, but... There was a point in time where Steve Jobs, who owned and ran Pixar, um, got to a point where he made a very public announcement that he would never be working with Disney again. And it had to do with something between he and Michael Eisner and, and some things that I guess were happening during mm -hmm. making some of these films or um, just business agreements. But he made a very public announcement that everyone was aware that he was that the time of Pixar and Disney working together was coming to an end. Yeah, I know that um, that was something that Bob really had to struggle with when it came to okay, how do I approach him about hey, I'd like to buy out Pixar and um, something that he mentioned in another one of his interviews was that his main goal in the process was to just build a friendship with him. Mm -hmm. um, Again, being so relational. Yes, he is a very relational person and his he had multiple meetings with him where he would just meet him at the Apple campuses and just walk around. And he said some of his favorite memories with Steve are just sitting on benches around the Pixar property or on Apple campuses where... He can be with Steve and just they can talk. And um, I, I love that that's the way, that's the approach that he took versus like, hi, I'd like to buy out your company. Um, and over time, I think Steve is able to build that trust with him and understand that the past is the past and that maybe this is something different moving towards the future. 
And so I know that eventually over time they were able to agree to terms um, so that they could get a contract written up, everything was set to go, and they were get, getting ready to do the announcement. And I remember, um, so the day of the announcement, Bob said that he went on a walk again with Steve. They sat at one of the benches that they always sit at. And when they sat down, Steve told him that said, I've got to tell you something that only my wife and my doctors know. And he's like, I have cancer. It's come back again. And uh, there's a chance I'm not going to survive from this. And I want to let you know now because I want to give you the opportunity to get out of this deal if you want to. And Steve, I mean, sorry, Bob knew that the announcement was, was going to be made in an hour and he wasn't allowed to tell anybody about it because Steve had asked that he keep it between them. And so knowing that information, he had to sit with that and make a very quick decision of, okay, what do I do? Do I still buy this company and, um, and risk the fact that its previous owner is, has cancer and that's like how bringing on a company while the old owner is, is is struggling is obviously a hard business move to make or you know step away from this deal and he obviously continued to go through with it and um today we know that pixar and disney are one and the same but i'm sure that was a very hard decision for him to make and just knowing that this friend that he'd now built a relationship with was struggling and, and battling cancer again yeah i thought that that was it spoke volumes to their friendship that um steve would be willing to share that with him when there was nobody else in his life outside of his own wife um that he'd let in on that information and um i going back to what kind of softened steve jobs to being open to this idea in the first place um he brought he had one of his days with um bob Iger and pulled out of his pocket one of the first ipods mm -hmm. and he said some of the things i hear you talk about the visions that you have for um, technology and entertainment um, moving forward into the future seem to line up with mine and this thing here is is called an ipod and we're releasing it soon <laughs> and we want to have movies and TV be able to be downloaded on this so people can access these things in their pocket. And um, I think, you know, again, Bob Iger being one of the first to be let in on this huge technological yeah. advancement um, of the iPod um, said a lot about how much Steve Jobs trusted him. But also in that moment, that was the, the turning point in their business deal with Steve Jobs was like, this is what I'm doing and I would like Disney movies to be accessible on this. Yeah. Can we make that happen? And what I read said that there was absolutely zero hesitation. Bob Iger was like, yes, we can make that happen. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I think that was the turning point for an open door for eventually Iger to approach him and say, look, I think that Pixar is kind of the best thing that Disney has put out. Um, obviously, Pixar and Disney were separate entities, but they collaborated on these ideas. Yeah. Um, and to lose that for the Disney company after in the years 2000 to 2005, Disney kind of had a drought of any big hits. Um, they had Tarzan in 1999. And after that, they kind of released a slew of movies that didn't seem um, to have the same success in the box office as they, as they had previously known. Yeah. Um, and so Iger knew that Pixar films were going to be pivotal in keeping 
the the magic within Disney movies alive. Um, and we can see how the animation of Pixar films has merged its way into Disney-only films like Frozen or Moana. They have that computer-generated yeah. um, type animation, which stems from the the scientific and um, the science and engineering of what Pixar has done. And Absolutely. so um, I think that was the first big check mark that um, Bob Iger put on um, his resume with being CEO mm-hmm. of the Disney company. But that was just the first. Yeah, that was just the first. He then went on to acquire Marvel Entertainment, which is insane. Um, Marvel and Sony had a great um, relationship as well with the original Spider-Mans. I know that there was, there still is um, to this day a little bit of that tension between Sony, Marvel, and Disney um, and what they own versus what Marvel owns, what Disney owns. But Bob Iger acquiring Marvel as a company to merge completely with Disney is huge. Um, So many amazing box office hits have come out since um, the acquisition of Marvel Entertainment. I know that Bob mentioned that Black Panther was one of his greatest accomplishments in his career. He said that like to be able to put out a movie that had such a diverse cast that were the primarily the, the actors were a people of color um, was hit was groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that it was such an honor to be a part of that, knowing that it fell under the Disney company as well. And that's what they were able to put out for the people. Um, and you know, Black Panther today is is one of the most uh, one of the most successful Marvel movies that's been released. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was definitely Mar- acquiring Marvel has been huge for the Disney company. Yeah, and we're starting to see that bleed into other aspects of what the Walt Disney Company does. Um, one being that we're seeing Marvel show up in the parks. Um, mm-hmm. I know there there's a little bit of battle with that because oh, yeah. with Universal, Universal Studio. And- yeah. Universal Studios has uh, Marvel IP existing in their parks, and so there was a whole uh, business battle there with what IP could remain in Universal and um, what Disney could and couldn't mess with Mm -hmm. um, in terms of putting Marvel in their parks. But I know they started in Hong Kong. They had a big um, Marvel addition to their parks, and now we're seeing it in Disneyland. I Mm -hmm. think we might eventually see it in Disney World. Um, We're seeing Guardians of the Galaxy be added to Epcot. Yes. Um, But I think the pull for more Marvel in the parks um, is going to be something that the audience wants so i think we'll see it in some aspects uh in the future start to increase um and something that um we haven't touched on uh and it's kind of at the end of bob Iger's career as ceo but we've seen his acquisitions make a huge impact on what we see on disney plus yes and disney plus is something that bob Iger was also um somewhat responsible for as CEO during the time of its release. Um, But in addition to the Marvel acquisition, um, a quick note I wanted to make about that was I had read that um, the previous owner of all of Marvel Entertainment entities um, got a phone call 
from Steve Jobs mm. whenever they were trying to have these discussions of um, should I sell, should I not? And a phone call that Steve Jobs made vouching for Bob Iger saying, if you do this, he will take care of it and do it right, is what led to the agreement that Marvel would be sold. And so again, I just have such a respect for his ability to lead with relationship Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this huge power role that he has. CEO of a worldwide, you know, empire. And the thing that's getting him these huge deals is how connected he is with people he works with, Mm -hmm. not being aggressive, not being, you know, a crazy monopolizer. It's just his connection with people that is getting to the, getting him to have these huge acquisition deals be made under his time as CEO. And the last two that we haven't talked about would be Lucasfilm and 21st Century Fox. Mm-hmm. So let's touch on Lucasfilm and what that means for the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, so Lucasfilms, um, if you do not know, are basically all the Star Wars movies. Um, I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt as we talk about this, so I'm like, yeah, let's go Lucasfilms, but also, yay, Star Wars. Um, I know that you have a story as well going back to what George Lucas, his relationship with George Lucas and that transcending into this partnership. Um, But being able to take those original uh, Star Wars films and then acquire Lucasfilms and then go on to make another trilogy of Star Wars movies after that is extremely impressive and did huge things for the Star Wars um, series as a whole. So, but then on top of that, not just the movies and acquiring Lucasfilms, but then taking that and saying, no, we're going to add aspects of this into our theme parks and we're going to open one of the most iconic and technologically advanced lands in a park that we ever have, which is Galaxy's Edge, which we see in Disneyland and Disney World and being able to see that partnership grow. Because before that, we we did have Star Tours, which was in the parks um, and we they, they were able to um, have the authority to build that ride. That was the only Star Wars thing that was available in Disney parks. Um, but when that, when this merge happened, they were able to take that and say like, no, this is, this is something we can grow and we can, um, really modernize for the technology that we have today. And we've seen amazing things with that because of, um, this merge. So yeah. Yeah. We've got galaxy's edge in both Disney world and Disneyland, we talk about Rise of the Resistance being, you know, an incredible innovation in attractions and theme parks. Oh, that's um, amazing. I think the, the theming and the storytelling of Galaxy's Edge is groundbreaking also. Um, but yeah, we, we had a little bit of a conversation about it earlier, but the idea that something that Bob Iger did in his early career at ABC and taking a chance on... George Lucas. George Lucas is also responsible for all the Indiana Jones films. Um, and we have Indiana Jones in the parks. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, maybe that means we'll see more. I know that there is a Indiana Jones film um, in the works. Mm-hmm. That, and we have the ride over at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And there's one in, in Paris? Uh, maybe Paris or maybe Tokyo. I can't yeah. remember. It's- anyway, he, we've got George Lucas in several of the parks, um, but... The thing that led to that 
acquisition as well was George Lucas having an existing relationship with Bob Iger and knowing that he took a risk on him and mm-hmm. his ideas early mm-hmm. on in this merger George Lucas, I think, now says, okay, I see what you're trying to do, and I'm willing to take Mm -hmm. a risk on my creations with you. And so he kind of returned that favor to Bob Iger, and I think that I I heard things about him not being super happy with the direction that J.J. Abrams, who produced the the most recent trilogy, already wasn't super fond of some of the storyline here and there, but grand scheme of things you know i think the star wars trilogy um episode seven through nine was a huge hit a huge success mm-hmm. and same with galaxy's edge i mean people have wanted to go to disney world just to see that um since it's been opened and i can't touch too much on what acquiring 21st century fox means for disney yeah. we haven't really seen um any impact other than it being available to us on disney plus But um, I think something that Bob Iger, park-wise, you know, we've we've talked a lot about his acquisitions and what that means for film. Um, Acquiring Lucasfilm also re-mentioned Mandalorian. We wouldn't have that without that acquisition either. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, same with all of the Marvel-based Disney Plus shows. But um, something that happened in Walt Disney World that I can specifically recall is during his time as CEO we see New Fantasyland we mm. see Toy Story Land yeah we see Pandora World of Avatar yeah. we see Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and so he's taken this idea of like Avengers Campus yeah Avengers Campus all of these hugely themed creative spaces these small worlds or lands and adding them into the parks to give people um something to want to return to Walt Disney World or Disneyland or, you know, the other parks for. Um, I think there's a new land going in, in Disneyland Paris as well. I can't remember specifically. can't remember um, either. But I think when I think about these lands, I think about the fact that Bob wanted to take that movie experience and make it real life. Like, yeah. make it feel like you're stepping into Toy Story or Star Wars. And by golly, did they do that? I mean... It, they are such immersive lands mm-hmm. and you can tell when you're stepping through an older part of the park into these new lands it's very yeah. updated um incredibly themed they it just it's beautiful Engineer- yeah it's beautiful the engineering of all the attractions are next level they're starting to incorporate and understand people's love of food mm-hmm. and they're creating all of these really unique things that you can eat and try in these parks yeah um or parts of the parks i think that it was super wise um from a business standpoint to put th- put lands and worlds in specifically animal kingdom and hollywood studios yes to revamp Um, the park, give it new life because I remember previously in in Disney World trips being like, okay, well, you know, Magic Kingdom and Epcot are like the big parks and there's a little bit to do in Hollywood Studios and a little bit to do in Animal Kingdom. And now Hollywood Studios for sure is one of the busiest of the four parks because of the addition of Toy Story Land and Galaxy's Edge. Mm -hmm. Um, Pandora World of Avatar is the busiest area of Animal Kingdom. People rush there to get you know, on Flight of Passage because it's incredible. Um, And so his push to get these new things in the parks has definitely, I think, benefit 
created a benefit for the company. Yeah, absolutely. And I think about these, you know, innovative lands and technology and rides, and it makes me think of Shanghai Disneyland, which is... Um, Let's just add another crazy bullet point I to know, his resume. He was a huge part of creating, launching Shanghai Disneyland. Um, Shanghai is known as one of the international parks that is just the most awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, um, larger-than-life experience. I, that's like the first international park I want to go to, even though I've already been to Paris. But I'll, I was a baby, so it's hard to say that. But <laughs> as an adult, Shanghai is the like the first one that I want to go to because um, everything that I hear about Shanghai Disneyland is just out of this world. And um, I know that a large part of that is due to Bob Iger and the way Mm -hmm. that he thinks. And he's so tech forward and thinks about what the people want. And to know that he was a big part of that makes me excited to go visit that park one day. This was also a huge agreement between the Walt Disney Company and the Chinese government. This, yes. It was such a big deal that the Chinese government were allowing this to happen. Uh, I think the um, Shanghai Disneyland is one of the only parks where the profit and revenue isn't 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe not all of the profit is returned to Disney at these parks, but I think there's a huge portion of what comes in from Disneyland Shanghai that is put back into China. The government wanted to make sure that it would benefit them as much as it benefited the Walt Disney Company. Mm -hmm. And so um, I cannot imagine the types of meetings and agreements and, and conversations that Bob Iger was a part of to come to an agreement with the Chinese government to make this happen. Yeah, and there's a big section of this in the uh, Imagineering Stories show on Disney+. Plus. They have, like I think, an episode or two where they talk about the entire build of Shanghai Disneyland and the importance of the Chinese government as well. So if you're interested in learning more about that, definitely check out that episode. Um, It was very insightful and also just like a great learning experience to be able to um, sit and learn more about Chinese culture as well. Mm -hmm. I thought it was um, very, very interesting. So definitely recommend um, reaching out and watching that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we are coming to a close in terms of the bullet points that we've specifically looked into. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we can only fit so much into a podcast. There is a plethora of history and information about um, Bob Iger, his career um, pre-Disney and at Disney. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that he did in his last year of being CEO is write a memoir, and it is called A Ride of a Lifetime. It was released... In 2019, it was a New York Times bestseller. It was the NPR book of the year and um, is a very, very good read. If you want to learn more about him, if you want to be inspired um, and, you know, read something that makes you want to push a little harder, work a little harder, hustle a little more in your day to day, (laughs) definitely recommend reading it. Um, There's so much to learn about him. And um, I think that he for sure qualifies as Disney legend. Oh, for sure. We, I mean, if, if you are a Disney fan at all within the past 15 years, then you have Bob I, Bob, Bob, Bob Iger. Bob Iber. <laughs> if you are a Disney fan within the last 15 years, then you have Bob Iger to thank because everything that you would have experienced is a byproduct of his leadership and his, um, kindness and his relational ability to see what the people want and take 
innovative technology and make that happen. And so it is sad that he is no longer the CEO. And we now have Bob Chapek, um, who is now just a year into this role. And we will continue to see what he will do for the company. But Bob, we will definitely continue to miss you. And um, thank you for all that you've done for Walt Disney, honestly. Uh, I know that... He was um, just recently stepped down as executive and Susan Arnold has taken over. Um, she is stepping into that position and Bob doesn't really know what's next for his life and what comes um, after stepping down from um, this executive board position. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that he got Disney into a really great spot. Um, he was responsible, um, for everything happening at the start of COVID, um, which I think is a big stressor. And it's also the time that he chose to step down. Um, I think that that made it a little bit difficult for Bob Chapek to, um, jump in at a time that was so trying, but I do think that it was good that, um, Iger decided to stay on for a little bit to get them through this period. Um, something that I thought was, super cool um, that I read was during the pandemic when Disney was losing billions of dollars because they had to close all of their parks internationally. I think I read that they had lost like $3 billion during that time. Um, Bob Iger agreed to forego his entire salary for the year. Um, Obviously he makes a lot of money. He's probably fine. It wasn't, you know, like, oh my gosh, he's not going to have a salary. Um, but at the same time, that's like a $50 million cut from his income. Um, his yeah. ba- his base salary, I think, was listed at $3 million, but his average was between 40 and $60 million on, you know, all that he was producing and doing for the Walt Disney Company. He increased the net income of the company as a whole <laughs> by 400%. Wow. So yeah, I think he what a legend. I think he earned a little bit of take home um, for himself, but I think it also speaks to his leadership uh, that he would choose to not take a salary for himself when the company was hurting so bad. Um, I also just really quickly want to throw in Bob Iger was CEO and happily ever after was put out. Uh, just very important piece of information <laughs> that uh, we needed to add. <laughs> but on this episode of We Love Happily Ever After. <laughs> anyways, that was just a little side note. But um, I do think Bob Chapek's gotten a lot of heat. Um, he had really big shoes to fill. I think it was nearly impossible for him to live up to yeah. um, the standard that Bob Iger had set, especially coming out of a pandemic. Um, So I commend him for stepping into that role during such a difficult time. But um, do I think that Bob Iger um, was my preferred CEO? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. But we will kind of wrap this up here by just reflecting on Bob and who he is and we're just super grateful that we get to experience a Disney world that is very much created by him a lot of the new things um, are because of him and uh, I think it is safe to say that he is our modern day Walt Disney and that is very exciting to be alive and be a part of as well so yeah, I definitely feel when I reflect on like Michael Eisner and his time as CEO, I don't I was so young. I don't remember understand, you know, what exactly was going on when he was CEO, mm-hmm. but to know um 
all of the changes and see all of the changes firsthand um, has made Bob Iger's time as CEO way more important to me. So yeah. it's been fun to to learn a little bit more about him. Absolutely. Small shop shout out. Last shout out of season two. Oh yeah. Today we have Main Street Melts Candle Company. This is a Disney-inspired candle company. They make the little melts that go in your little candle warmers. They also make regular candles that smell like certain things in the Disney parks. So, I mean, that's just beautiful in itself. For example, um, you've got like the smell of the Main Street Confectionery Mm. or the water at Pirates of the Caribbean or the smell of flight of passage like just things that are very when you smell it you know it's disney they have tried to recreate those smells and put them in some type of candle form so that you can light that candle and relive your favorite disney memories which i think is a very sweet and exciting product yeah to be able to have more disney at home i think scents is one of the biggest things that's recognizable about Disney. Whenever you're walking around, you go on a ride, you immediately are like, oh, I remember the smell. And to have that in your house, I think just brings you a little bit of nostalgia and memory um, of your time at Walt Disney World to your everyday. Yeah, absolutely. Follow them on Instagram, Main Street Melts underscore Candle Co. Last Disney Etiquette 101 of season two. Man, I have really loved having this segment. It's so fun. I feel like it's a little venting session for me. It is. It's like, be nice to be nice in Disney, please. Um, (laughs) Also, let me remind you of this one time somebody annoyed me. Um, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) On this episode of We Are Annoyed. (laughs) Um, Okay, so what is our Disney Etiquette 101? advice for today oh the advice is know your order before you get to the front of the quick service line now this is very relevant in before covid times where you had to stand in line for every quick service before mobile ordering mobile ordering does kind of eliminate this a little bit but there are some places that you still have to stand in line for quick service to order um and there's nothing that is more annoying than getting standing in a long quick service line getting to the front and the person is like um uh like looking at the menu forever i'm like you've been standing here in line for so long looking at that menu or you have the menu in your app please have your order ready we are all trying to eat and sit down and and take a little break so we can get back out there and ride some rides and do some stuff so you know what i've also experienced in the quick service line um i've been standing there and it's me and my collective group or whoever i'm with we all know our orders because we are disney pros and the singular person in front of me the one person that's been standing in front of me for the last 10 minutes waiting in line as soon as they get up to the counter i hear guys guys come on come on and like 10 people run up and decide to order and those 10 people don't know what they want they just went and found a table sat down and were waiting until it was their turn to go up and order this specifically has happened to me at joffrey's where a large group of people there was one person waiting in line for a whole group and when they got to the front of the line all of those people joined them at the front and they were trying to decide what donuts they wanted what drinks they wanted they were asking questions and 
Yes, I understand it makes the line shorter to not have all the people waiting with you, but maybe have a list of what you want to order on your phone for those people in advance and just do the order yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, It creates a little bit of chaos when 10 people try to jump in front of an existing line. It makes everyone behind you feel a little bit frustrated. And if those people don't know what they want when they get up to the front, it continues to slow things down. So maybe um, just be considerate of the fact that Everyone behind you is also waiting to order and pre-list all the things you want um, before you get up there. If you're ordering for a large group or just have everyone wait in line, whatever it is. But having a bunch of people join you at the front um, is also not cool. Yeah. Guys, next season, we've ended season two and we are looking forward to season three. We do have some fun things in the works. We're really excited about taking this for a third season. Um, Thank you so much for being our listener and being a part of the Castle Chat family. We are so excited um, that you choose to listen to us week in, week out. Um, It's really such an honor to be able to share our love of Disney with you guys. Yeah, our hope and goal is always just to, first and foremost, uh, have fun, just the two of us talking all things Disney that we love, but also to grow a community and um, little Disney family with all of you guys. So um, if you are listening to us here on this podcast and you don't follow us at Instagram, you can spend more time with us and chat with us there. Mm -hmm. We are at the castle chat on Instagram and how else can they hang out with us court? They can send us an email. Um, You can email us at the castle chat at gmail.com. Definitely be um, following our Instagram so you can see kind of the teasers that we have for season three. We'll be releasing some of those on there. Um, But Don't worry, you don't have to wait too long until season three. We will be back in just two short weeks on February 6th for our season three, episode one launch. And we are so, so, so excited to jump back into another Disney breakdown and share with you all the upcoming Disney news that's happening. It's a new year. It's 2022. Yeah. We can't wait to see what's in store uh, for this little... Oh, you could have said for you and it would have rhymed. Um, I missed I missed the note there. Uh, 2022 well, for you. It's in store. Okay. I just thought it was really fun. I was like, man, she's going with this. Then uh, you did it. But it's okay. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a natural born rapper. It's I'm okay. Sorry. Well, maybe or next poet. time. <laughs> Anyways, um, we are really excited for season three. And um, if you listen to our podcast and you love it and you somebody else who might love it please share with them and you can also help other people find us by leaving a review on whatever Mm -hmm. streaming platform you use Uh, just drop us a little note let us know if you like what we're doing and that'll help other people um, join us as well yeah thanks so much and we'll leave you what we always leave you with which is there's a great big beautiful tomorrow out there waiting for you go make it magical. See you real soon. Bye guys. Bye.